Our host is none other than Mr. Frank. Mr. Frank is the, the man behind with all of the, the, he set up this whole equipment. He has a production equipment called Hope for Tomorrow Ministries. <laughs> Zach there is one of his interns, one of his partners. Um, and Frank has been doing some amazing, amazing work in the world of digital and technology and media. And he is finding new and innovative ways to talk about Jesus and getting it out there to the masses. And this here is him, is him assisting the vision of Pastor Sam and Pastor T, uh, Pastor uh, Dwayne. Of, <laughs> of, getting, right. of getting the mission <laughs> of Jesus out there. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Mr. Frank. Give it up for Frank one more time, you guys. Hey, hey, guys, what is up? Courageous. It's been a while since I've been here, but um, I'm glad that you all are here right now. So we got Pastor Sam. We got Pastor Dwayne. Uh, Welcome to the first ever Courageous Live podcast. This is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Give it up for those guys right Good. now. Come you guys on. are a Come part on. of history, man. Come yeah. on now. Come on. First ever. History this is first ever GFC-wide as well. Come on. Uh, so we set up the environment to help you understand the leadership behind here at eBoard, but also more importantly, equip you guys uh, with your walking testimony to those who are lost. Um, last week, you guys anonymously asked some questions for the pastors and we went over them and uh prayed over a lot of the questions and then we're here to seek answers so pastor yeah. Dwayne, pastor sam how you guys doing i'm excited man i'm really excited about this opportunity uh, yeah. come on greatest day of my life i know we said we'll be outside in the lobby afterwards signing autographs yeah. and making yeah. sure I got, got a couple shirts. Bibles out there. I'm going to sign for you guys. Hope you brought your Bibles. Yeah, the new the new homeboy translation available. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Let's. <laughs> so speaking of the um, speaking of the pastors. So what kind of training do you guys have at Grace? What kind of training do we have at Grace? So um, something me and Pastor Dwayne talked about, because there is a lot that comes into the, the calling of, of being a pastor. And it truly is a calling. And so a scripture that we, we reference here is in 1 Timothy. And if you guys have your, your phones or your Bibles, you can feel free to read along with yeah, us. Yeah. But it's in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. Uh, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's good. That's enough right there. Yeah. We could chew on that for a minute. Chew, 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 chew ahead. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your stories on like how you came into being mentored? Yeah. What, what, what was your calling? Sort of something like that? Man, well, you know, when I, when I came into Grace, I actually came into the doors of Courageous, just where you guys are sitting right now. And um, you don't know how much value you bring to the seat that you're sitting in. Yes. It's only a seat until you sit in that chair. That seat has a story. And so I'm going to let you know about a little bit of my story of how I got called and actually led into the ministry. I showed up at Courageous, had some substance abuse, was struggling with my marriage. Wife was pregnant, didn't know how to be a dad. I left home when I was 
18, 19, and um, I didn't know how to read, even read my Bible. Didn't have a relationship with God. I have an understanding that God existed, but I didn't really have a relationship with God. And I showed up at a table uh, one night, just in my brokenness, and I thought, the name alone said it. It, it was called Wild Men at the time. And I was like, oh, I'm in a wild season of my life, so oh, that, was, that was probably a fitting place for me to be a part of. <laughs> and so I strolled in there, man, and um, I sat at the table. I was probably the youngest at that table, but these guys really were so vulnerable and transparent. I had never seen that before. I've never seen a man, like, be vulnerable. I've never seen a man cry. I've never seen a man really, like, just opened up. And that was new. And, and so I kept coming, kept coming, and finally I start opening up. And uh, these guys just came around me and actually sp spoke life into my challenges, you know, challenged me how to be a better dad, how to walk through some of my substance abuse, brought accountability. Sometimes I, when, I when I didn't show up, they came to my house and picked me up. That's the level of fellowship and commitment these guys had to discipleship and making sure that no man left behind. And, man, I sit here because those guys around that table not only helped me and coached me out of my, heart, my hurt place or my hiding place, but they actually start affirming things in me and gave me opportunity at the table. Hey, man, would you, would you mind praying us out tonight? I was like, oh, not ready for that. But I studied the following week, and I came back ready to pray for the night out. Then it was a, hey, man, just read this story. And I just kept doing that little by little bit. And then it, it just started this calling. Like I said, man, I, I think that there's a call in your life, you know. And I didn't know what that meant either. What's a call in my life? But um, if you stay long enough in an environment, it's just like anything you want to grow. You know, if you plant a seed and you just leave it there and do nothing with it, it could end up just die. Yeah. But if you bring the water, if you put it in the sunshine, if you create the things it needs in the environment and care for it, it actually blossoms. And its whole intent is to produce fruits, not for itself, but for somebody else to eat of its fruit. And so when I sit here, I'm excited to say, man, I once sat in that chair, but to see what God has done in my life on this journey. And now look how many people are eating of the fruits of my discipline, of my sacrifice, of my pain, of my suffering. Um, so that's my story real quick. I don't want to take yeah. too long, but that's a no. quick summary of where I started in Grace and now where I'm at at Grace Family Church. Been here over six, 17 years now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, round of applause to our campus pastor, yeah. seriously. Yeah. You know, our, our stories are similar in a way that it both started in Courageous. And, like, this seat that you're in, that, that paints a real picture. Yeah. Like, this is not the last seat no. that you could be sitting in. Like you very well may be sitting in this seat, yeah. And we might be the old men that are <laughs> that are out there, be like being there, just trying to find the next generation. But you know what? One thing that stuck out is from my story is you know there was a a, a moment of commitment. Yeah. You know, there's this moment where if you have this calling, you answer that calling, right? And not everybody answers the calling. Oh, maybe not in this season. Maybe not right now. Maybe, you know what, God, now's not the time. I don't know how everything is set up. I don't think I'm ready for it. But, man, when, when you get that call and you, and you go and you jump in and you don't look back, that's the best feeling ever. Because now you're living a life with no regrets. You're not thinking about the choices that you could have made because you're making the choices that you need to make, that God is calling you to. And so for me, I, I made that choice to um, take the next step, a leap of faith. I had my wife's blessing. You know, you heard in that Bible verse that your household needs to be in order, everything needs to be in place. And 
Or who was I if I was going to go home to my wife and say, hey, baby, I'm going to get into ministry. I'm going to go all in. And she would say, what, what the heck are you going into ministry for? Like, who are you? you? No, that's not you. But that confirmation of that calling, the same way that you get it from the brothers at the table. And so I jumped into school, went into college, started interning, and never looked back. And now I'm here today as, as your associate campus pastor, as one of the associate campus pastors here at the Ebor campus. A long journey, but well worth it if, if, if you have that calling. And if you do, I'd even put it out there, like if you, you feel that you have that calling on your life and you want to talk through it with either myself, Pastor Dwayne, or Pastor yeah. Terrence, like let's have a conversation. And let's talk about what that looks like for you and, and help you and, and encourage you on this journey because um, it, is, it is one heck of a walk. Yeah. Can we shed more light on like the, um, the growth and sacrifice it takes to walk with yeah. God? Yeah, um, I, I, think, people? yeah. I think that sometimes we, we get distracted about doing this big thing for God. Yeah. And God is into details. And it's the details that's his, that... <clears throat> that he's into that caused these big things to happen. It's the details of your pain, your addiction, your suffering, that he walks in those places and he turns that not into your testimony and sometimes he turns it into a platform for you to stand on. And, and like for me, I would say, you know, when God called me, it didn't look like me on a stage. Mm-hmm. It looked like me rolling a trash can around. Yeah. That was my first step in the ministry, was literally being a, a maintenance guy. Um, but here's what I learned there. I learned how to steward the most insignificant object that we use in our household. Wow. A lot of people discard the trash can, but everybody needs a trash can. Mm-hmm. And they don't clean a trash can, they just throw trash in the trash can. But I learned through my path of ministry, man, if I knew how to steward the most disregarded item in God's house, yeah. and I steward it well, I'll tell you, man, the trash can has been my best mentor tool that God has given me to learn about servitude and being a servant. Um, and so I, would, I, I never saw that coming into the ministry would have came through the, I don't even call it the door, I call it like an escape hatch. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you want to see this door yeah. and God got a little window and it just don't look attractive. Mine look like a little escape hatch. I'm like, there ain't no way I could get in through there. There's no way I'm going to be a pastor coming through a maintenance position. And so you got to not see yourself up here, but you got to see yourself here. And if you could see yourself here, getting up there is going to be easier because it's being faithful here. Is, that's where the challenge is at because you're always looking at this big picture. And God is like, no, I started out your life with the fate of a mustard seed. Why don't we use that principle of the fate of a mustard seed and take the next small step? Because we could all take the next small step, yep. but we, we can't all take the next big leap. Mm, that's good. good. That's yeah. good, man. Yeah. See, I, and I had that confused per- perception. Yeah. When I first got the call and I, I started doing everything, going to class, what was the first thing I saw? I saw me on a big stage wow. talking and preaching. <laughs> and then, wasn't saved. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. God was walking me through. But it, it was that realization that I was called to serve. And I still remember a moment where I was, I was counting lanyards for a, for a conference. And I remember counting these lanyards. I'm like, what's so important about these lanyards? You know, and you find significance in all the insignificant things. And that's when you start walking out that calling. Because it's in the insignificance that that God is truly working. And we just look over it, you know. 
Um, so great, great, great share yeah, of DC. Yeah, um, yeah. And I would uh, even even venture as as we pastor now, like that's not the end of our growth. You know, we still consistently read. We try to um, get on top of topics of, of where we might have strengths or where we might be weakest at. You know, one area that I'm not exactly the strongest is, is in care ministries. But what I am doing is investing the time and the training on things like mental health, on, on doing funerals, on doing marriages and, and having marriage counseling and, and being available for different types of grief uh, counseling. Now, I, I don't do counseling as a professional, but I get to come alongside of people in their lives as a, as a pastor. And so I don't think we ever end in our growth yeah. in this position. No, I, I would also venture to say too, guys, you know, we live in a society that's always challenging us or have us to think through the filter of what's my next? What's my next? Mm -hmm. Well, listen, the disciples probably asked that question, what my next? But what next is for a disciple that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, who's my next? Yeah. Who's my next replacement? Who's the next person that's behind me, that's beside me, that I need to, to reach out to and pull up so we can walk together? You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, these tables are only going to be as strong as you're pulling at each other yeah. and as you're pushing each other. But if you just sit still, I mean, there ain't no life there. Yeah. The last time I checked, a lot of still things means it's dead. Yeah. Yep. But if you got life, there should be some movement. And so, again, guys, these environments could be, again, the incubator for your next step. And so look at a Monday night. Coming here is not just being passive. It's not just being about you. It's about the person that you're looking to pull or looking to push. And another thing um, I told Pastor Dwayne a while ago, like I want to, I feel called to be a pastor one day. Yeah. He said, serve. So if you feel like that's your call, Find a way to serve the church. Find a way to serve your community and the people around you. Yeah. Volunteer. Yeah. There's apps for that. There's a text code for that. So check yeah. it out. So let's uh, let's head up to the next question, yeah. man. Yeah. That was yeah. great. Uh, Thank good. you for that. Good stuff. Uh, can you help us understand the difference of conviction and condemnation for yourself and for others? Oh, that was a really great question. Mm. Yeah, I, I think for condemnation and conviction, those are very easy to get confused. Uh, in the treatment of each other, right? And, and also in the way that we receive. So when I think of, of, of condemnation versus conviction, there was a couple stories in the Bible with women um, where one was the adulterer and, and Jesus came to her defense and prevented her from being stoned. Or you got the woman at the well as well. He could have approached her in a way that was condemnation but allowed her to feel conviction. And so uh, a story that I bring out is um, from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And it talks about a man who was demon-possessed. Right. And the city, they tried to do everything in their power to contain this this man that was demon possessed because he was just he was tearing it up. And so what they did is they put chains on him and they tried to lock him down. He kept on just breaking all the chains and still reaping havoc. And when I picture condemnation, that's what we're doing. Condemnation is when instead of coming alongside of our brother or, or coming alongside of the people that God has placed in our life to have a conversation with them is, 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 is putting them in those chains. We're just trying to lock up our brother and, and trap him in a cave to where he can't get out. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. There's times where we don't even realize that we're doing it, right? I mean, I've been guilty of it. 
even while I've been in ministry, I had a circumstance where I made someone feel condemnation when I'm supposed to be the one that's leading them and helping them and loving them to help them feel conviction. DC, you want to chime in, bro? I mean, I think, you know, conviction, you, you could look at it two ways. You know, conviction happens within. Condemnation sometimes comes from the outside. But also conviction could be like in terms of sin, like you need to be convicted. The Holy Spirit convict you. And his whole desire of the conviction is to turn you in the right direction, put you on a different path. But also there's a positive side of conviction that you can be convicted to want to do something, which is good. Like the call of God in your life, you should have a conviction, man, I need, I'm convicted to make this change or to do this for God and, and have that burden. So sometimes we don't always see conviction as a positive, but there's a positive to conviction and conviction actually always produce a change. Like you're convicted, it's telling you, man, it's time for you to make a change, you know, and, and, and condemnation, like I said, is one of those things that just breeds death. Um, there's nothing beautiful about condemnation. You know, it's one of those things that disqualifies, it's, it discourages, like again, it produced death. And, and that's why it's not life-giving. And also even for ourselves, when, when, when you actually, um, I like here in, in James, actually, let me read this in James um, 1.15. It says, then when you desire, what your desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, bring forth death. Like, it's, it's just reminding us that this desire that we have, some are good desires, some are bad desires, some are convicting desires, but it's saying that if you, if you create that environment for that desire to grow, if it's a sinful one, it could actually produce something that would kind of take you out, you know? And, and condemnation is one of those things that sometimes subtly comes behind a sin that you have committed. It's like, man, now you're so convicted now you're condemned, and now you're even condemning yourself. Mm. And it's hard sometimes to get out of that self-condemnation. Yeah. You want to share something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that condemnation, and that's especially when you feel it for yourself. You know, when, whenever you have something that you're, you continuously beat yourself up about, yeah. you're just you're putting yourself in those chains, mm-hmm. and you don't even realize it. Like, all right, let me lock myself up in the basement. You know, when that conviction... Is, is freeing, you know? There's a, a, a form of, 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 of love that comes when you're able to confess right. to a brother, and then you repent to God, you know? Um, yeah, and that's what's important about our community in capitalizing on those, on those feelings of condemnation or conviction, because condemnation is not gonna help you take a step. Condemnation is gonna keep you locked up, but conviction, it frees you if you take action on that conviction. And it actually ties into our, our next question, Does, right, yes, Frank? Yes, what is the best way to acknowledge old sin and move on and away from those memories? Yeah. and that, Those memories can hold you up. Yeah, and that verse that um, Pastor Dwayne was James sharing from James one fifteen, yeah. segue. It, it, it touches on it, you know what I mean? And another verse that I would free, that I would say is because th- I think this is also an, an identity issue you know, this is an identity issue of, of where we stand as, as believers, as believers in Christ. And so the verse I would, I would bring up is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. See, and that's important if you're going to walk out in conviction or if you're going to stay in condemnation. Can I plug the group real quick? Go ahead. I'm going to plug freedom, guys. Um, that is a great way yeah. to let go of a lot of things and soul ties and chains that you've been holding on to yes. your past. Yes. Definitely check out freedom next semester if, if that's something you would like to go through. Yeah. Talk to Zach. Yeah. yeah. I would just highlight this verse is in, um, is in Colossians 3. So Paul was writing to the church of Colossae, and they were being influenced by the things of the world. And so it was slowly creeping in that it was causing some of their desires and their mindset to shift. And so he told them, it says, this is in verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. This means focus on things above, where Christ is seated on the right hand. And then it says, set your minds on things above. It was encouraging. Listen, I know that there's this new um, different type of doctrine or challenge to the doctrine that was coming in. And he was telling them, listen, with Christ, who is your life appears uh, with him in glory. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever is, uh, belongs to this earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And verse 7 is what I really like, that little piece where it says, you used to walk in these ways in this life you once lived, but you must also rid yourself of such things. And he lists another level of what we should be rid of, like anger, rage, malice, slander. What he's saying is don't take for granted this new life you've been given. And I think sometimes we can passively and casually just take this this resurrection power. Guys, it's a resurrection power Amen. that we have. Come on. This is not just a, a God that just talked about just getting up. It was a resurrection. And not only after that, there was an ascension that was witnessed. So not only did he get up, but he rised above. And now he looks down and saying, hey, that's the spirit you got. I can help you to walk out of some of those tombs that you've put yourself in or that people have put you in. I can help you to ascend above your addiction because you got the dudamus power, the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes for us as men, you know, we have our physical power, but we need to tap into that inner power, mm. the Holy Spirit. So I would say for me, that's one of the things that helped me at Courageous. I learned to tap into the dudamus power of the Holy Spirit to walk in this new life that was hidden in Christ Jesus. And that's crucial too, because I feel like a lot of time we downplay the Holy Spirit and yeah. his power, yeah. uh, but take advantage of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. He was here to comfort us through moments of that doubt and everything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really, we're really segueing along. This is perfect because when you are, um, when you die to your old sin, there's an outward profession yeah. by baptism. Yeah. So there's a lot of controversy between denominations. Uh, is infant baptism okay? Yeah. Is infant baptism okay? Is it okay? So where are we going to go with this one, guys? <laughs> you know what? Um, a common verse uh, that was referred to, because I had to <coughs> dig a little bit uh, deeper here and, and see what the other side looks like and see what their perception was in order to better understand what I believe is true. Yeah. 
And so one of the verses that they, they reference is uh, Acts. And so it's Acts uh, chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. And, and I'll give you a short summary. It's, a, it's the jailer that's standing outside of the jail when the, when the cells have broken, and he's scared of losing his life because he's let this happen. And, and now he's, um, he's all of a sudden trusting in Paul, like, wait a minute. Uh, I want to I wanna believe, like, I have nothing else. I'm, I'm going to lose my life, so I'm ready to make a decision to, to believe and, and, and trust in God. And so Paul tells him, okay, well, you, as, long, as you believe, you'll be able to be baptized and, and, you're, and you'll be blessed by God and so will your family, so will your household. And so what people have said of this uh, version of, of, of events is that his household went into baptism with him. Now, no, no mention of age, no mention of kids or whatnot, but then, you know, you, you start thinking to yourself, well, how can one truly make a decision yeah. for themselves yeah. to be baptized, you know? And there's a certain point where you do have to make that decision for yourself, right, DC? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, tradition always sometimes collide with, with um, culture and biblical truth, and we formulate our own little thoughts and ideals and ideas of how it should be done. Or we watch grandma do it. Like, for example, have you heard about the story where they, you wonder why the fish head is not with the fish when they fry it and come to find out that grandma just didn't have a big enough pan mm. to fit the whole fish in the pan? <laughs> and sometimes that's what we do. We cut stuff off. We cut stuff out so it can fit. Yeah. for a situation. But from what I've read in the scriptures, I think that a child more likely is better off to be dedicated by their parents. Mm. Like, like I think it's Hannah that, that dedicated back, you know, Samuel to, to God. Say, hey, I'm giving him back to him. He dedicated him. But when you read the scripture, uh, when you read it in Acts 8, I love the story about the Ethiopian eunuch where he was overcome and he was um, having this moment, and I'm going to just really read through it real quick. In, um, this is uh, verse, verse 30. It says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet of Isaiah. And he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And listen what he said. How can I unless someone guides me? Hmm. This is a grown man that's reading the word of God. And is saying, Hey, how can I even understand what I'm reading unless you explain it to me? And after he explained it to him, it led to him going to the point where we pick it up in um, verse 36. It says, now as they went down to the road, they came uh, to some water. And the, the eunuch said, see, there is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To me, that story says, if you have the comprehension to believe then you have the possibility and the strength to take the next step, which is yes. to be water baptized. Yes. So that's why I'm saying like a child can be dedicated by their parents, but I think somebody needs to own those decisions in their life. And, and so this story kind of mirrors and show me that, you know, it, it's okay to be dedicated as a child, yeah. um, but baptism needs to be owned. You need to know what you're doing. Yeah. Somebody, I love how he said it. How must I know? How must I understand until you explain it to me? Yeah. Right. So that's yeah. what I would say, man. Yeah. Hey, listen, and I've I've even had the journey where before I became a Christian, we had this um, 
pre-notion that when you have a baby, you got to go and get them baptized, right? And so I went to a, a church and I took classes and I went through all this stuff to just get my baby baptized. But I didn't know what the spiritual significance was or what I was doing. It was a commodity for me. It was more of a a checkbox. And I took a picture of my baby getting baptized. And to this day, you can see it on my Facebook, y'all. Like I'm not, it's not hidden, you know what I mean? But I don't wanna, I don't wanna beat up anybody who makes the choice, you know, to get your your infant baptized. Mm -hmm. Um, That's completely up to you. But what I do wanna advise you is that it may not have the spiritual significance that you think it carries because that baby can't choose for himself. And ultimately with a child, we're relying on the righteous judgment of God. Mm -hmm. He is sovereign. He is our Lord. And every choice he makes is right. And so he has the ultimate choice when it's all said and done with. So whatever you do with your child in preparation or Mm -hmm. baptism, dedication, it goes to God and you give it to him. So just just being a pastor, too, I've always have people come up and say, you know, I was baptized when I was young. I didn't quite know what I was doing. I know some of that is your story out there. I didn't really know what was happening. So I really understand now. And so I want to do it again. So, again, it just shows us that, you know, a child being baptized, it's kind of a toss up for some people. Yeah. It's very good, guys. Hey, so you had something, Kevin, to say? I was just going to say. Dedicated. Uh, <clears throat> the baby's there, but really it's about the parents and the godparents saying, We will raise this child in Christ. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, if they fail you, I mean, you still, at some point in your life, come to the realization you got to acknowledge yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, and that's important too, because regardless of, of, of dedication, of baptism, baptism. you as parents, as, as father, as mother, you have an obligation to those kids to raise them up in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord. Yeah. So, um, and I know we're going to touch on that in a little bit. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great questions, guys. All right. So we're going to go into more of um, the financial realm of a question of like, what do you think as pastors, how do you deal with financial debt? and stay content with your walk with Jesus without trying to manipulate your circumstances? Yeah, I'll be honest. I had a hard time understanding this question. Uh, there was a lot of words happening there. And then I sat down with uh, Pastor Dwayne. He's like, Sam, there's three parts to the question. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just looking at it as one question. I got an issue there. But we, we referenced the, uh, the scripture of the, of the rich young ruler, Right. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus Christ and he asked, what must I do to inherit salvation? How do I inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him, sell all your possessions. Sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler couldn't do that. And it made him sad. But then right after, Jesus says it's easier for for, for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And what we're talking about here is, is priorities. We're talking about idols. And that money can become an idol. So to whomever asked this question or whomever may say that same question, I would encourage you first off um, to look through your perception of, of money. 
Is money something that you spend more of your time thinking about than actually consulting God Hmm. and bringing it to his attention, whatever it is that you're struggling with when it comes to debt and and financial management? And then really praying to God to, to deliver to you the resources that you need and trusting him in your finances. DC, you got something to add, man? I just I would just like to add that, you know, there's certain topics about a man that we kind of struggle to communicate and ask for help. And I think finances align in that because one of the first things we like to do as men, we like to size people up. What do you do for a living? Yeah. Like yep. why do we even need to talk about that? You know, it doesn't really matter. But anyways, that's just a question that we utilize. But at the end of the day, society, the world has says, man, you're the breadwinner. You're supposed to make this. You're supposed to do that. And <clears throat> that, could brings out, that could bring out your insecurity sometimes if you're not there where you feel you should be. Yeah. So you end up feeling like a misfit. Um, you end up not wanting to talk about it. But I would say, man, like, if you need help in finances, go get help. Like, that's what we should do. That's what the early church did. They came together and they helped each other. But you can't get help if you're not communicating or you're not saying help. Yeah. And we do well at masking stuff. Man, we're masked. I mean, we don't need a Halloween mask, Pastor Sam. Yeah. We wear them all the time. Yeah. And so I would say because the financial, your financial situation is not just going to go away. It just don't disappear. Mm-hmm. So you got to really talk through and creatively, because you might not see an angle or a perspective that somebody else is seeing, because sometimes we get comfortable in our routine and what we like, and we don't, we're not going to challenge ourselves sometimes. Yeah. We become passive, and sometimes you need somebody to look at you and say, man, you need to get up out your bed, you need to get up out your house. You need to start knocking on some doors and start yeah. applying the principle, you knock, seek, ask, yeah. and, and keep doing that. But we grow weary sometimes in doing good. Yeah. And sometimes you're just one more now. What, what if, what if, what if the, the Israelites didn't do the last lap around the walls of Jericho? What would have happened? Yeah. Mm. It wouldn't be in the Bible. Yeah. We wouldn't read about it. So sometimes the, those stories are there for us to follow through. And, and so I would just say, man, if you're there struggling, at the end of the day, get a coach. Get somebody to bring new perspective. Get somebody to assess your, 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 your lifestyle, your life situation. And you could only cut so much fat. Yeah. I get it. You could only cut so much fat when you're on fixed income or you're on certain things. But, again, there's always a way. If God said he can make a way and he makes the impossible way, then we need to seek and seek until the impossible, until the impossible way is being found. Yeah. You know, and I've heard it said, and I've even been guilty of saying, like, and tell me if anyone else can relate, you know, my whole life would change if I just had this amount of money. Mm. If I I won the lottery this one time, my whole life would change. I'd have everything I need. I wouldn't have no more problems. Now, how many of you really believe that that's true? Right. I, in, the, in the words of the, uh, the late great prophet, Notorious B.I.G., he said, more money, more problems. <laughs> no, but money, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. So money's not the issue, but it's when you chase and lust after it with your own heart that it becomes the issue. So, D.C., I love what you shared. There. Yeah, I, I like this verse of Philippians, right, because we could all repeat it. 
Right? What's the favorite one? What? Philippians what? I can, I can, oh, Philippians 4.13. Walk up a little bit, though. We got to walk up a little bit. Oh, we got to, like, oh, you're talking about before in 11. Yeah, in 11, it says, not that I speak. It says, now, I know, um, I know what it is to have need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. What, what it says, I have what? The secret. Learn what? It's a secret. So there may be some people that don't know about it because it's a secret. But he said, I've learned the secret of being what? Of being content where? In one situation? In only in 2023? <laughs> no, that's not what it says, right? It says in any and every. Yeah. He came around. He circled that thing around. Any and every. So he's saying, you ain't got no excuse, Brent. You ain't got no excuse. In every situation, uh, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So don't just read that last one and shout or do a lap. Walk up a little bit ahead and read what it says up front. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to end up shouting. After you've heard the secret and live out the secret, now we can shout, I can do all things, bro. Come on. And Come contentment on. is a key. A contentment is a key. That's the part. It's the secret is contentment. You know, that's, and that's, that brings up another question. That, yeah. I, and we didn't pre-discuss this, but like yeah. that contentment versus complacency. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think men, uh, I think anyone can get confused on that. The contentment versus the the, the complacency. Because, listen, when you talked about that contentment, I can't tell you how many times I recited that verse of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength through some situations where I just kind of was taking it for granted. I wasn't thinking about contentment. I was running in tough mutter. And I was, I was trying to make it through. And I wore a shirt that said Philippians 4.13 and everything. And, and I'm running. I'm like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's giving me strength. He's giving me strength. He's giving me strength. But I wasn't thinking about contentment. If you were content, you would never even show up to that race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I was, I was doing something for myself. I was doing something for my own fleshly desires. I wanted to accomplish something that I wanted to do. That was for me. See, but the contentment comes when it's something that God wants you to do. And I think we need to be careful walking that line of complacency and contentment. Because this contentment that Pastor Dwayne is talking about is not an excuse to just sit back and, and wait. Or complain. Or complain. You know what I mean? This is, this is a time for you to truly go and knock. And confess. There's a lot of C's up in there. <laughs> a lot of C's. You like your uh, I do. I do. I'm slow, so You're I got to use certain <laughs> things to remember things. Yeah. Hey, let's keep the ball rolling. This, yeah. that, was, uh, that was a great question as well. We have another one. So what is a soulmate? Mm. And is it when you have been with someone for a long time? Soulmate. What do you think about that term soulmate? That, I, 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 I want to know. Pre-show, I told you a little about what I thought. Yeah. I'll leave it to that, though. All right. I want to know how many of you guys are watching Chick Flicks? <laughs> all right only one guy alex all right watching the rom-coms <laughs> all right so these this soulmate what's the definition of a soulmate because i don't find soulmate in the bible i don't i don't find it in the bible but what i was able to find was definitions on google 
of what soulmate is. And what soulmate is, is it could be a, 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 a connection that's sexual. It could be a, a connection that's uh, verbal. It could be a connection that's spiritual of any type. It could be a connection of feeling, but it's just this, this connection that can come in multiple different ways. And so I wanted to, I wanted to define that. And some of us can be in this way of thinking that God has created someone specifically for us. Like he has created this perfect woman that would perfectly blend with us. And, and, and we're going to be so magical together. And it's going to be so beautiful. I don't care who you are. I know y'all believe in love stories. But we, we, we think that God has this, this perfect woman for us. But if we look in the Bible... And we reference a couple people in there, including Paul. Uh, there were some people that that wasn't intended for. And it could lead us astray when we when we look for that direction or we have this this false notion of of what we believe love to be or what we believe for 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 this soulmate. Yeah. You know, I think soulmate, it, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the, the word girlfriend. Like, I remember just giving my life to Christ and praying, and I was like, hold up. Ain't no girlfriend in this Bible. Mm-hmm. Who been sending me all these girls? I was like, and I read the Bible, it talks about a wife. Yeah. talks about a husband. talks about sons. talks about daughters. You know, God is specific about what he's called the next person that we want to attach ourselves to to be. So you need to always come through the filter of seeing them as, as your wife. And I think that evolves into becoming your soulmate at the end of your life journey. You can look back and say, man, like, man, that was my soulmate. Yeah. But I think we try to put the horse before the cart sometime, or the cart before the horse, however you say that. Um, and we want to get the soulmate first, and we don't want to walk through the sacrifice that leads up into us saying at the end of life, man, that was my soulmate. Yeah. You know, I suffered with him. I was challenged with him, but I loved him. We walked through some things. And, and, I, and I, I would say, man, that's where sometimes we get tripped up by the words of the world and the wisdom yeah. of the world. Because when I read the scripture, it didn't say whoever finds a soulmate finds a good thing. Mm-hmm. It says whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and attached to that, then there's a level of favor that God gives to you. All right? So that's, that's what I would say, man. I yeah. mean, it's great to have soulmate in conversations, but I wouldn't be out there trying to find a soulmate because I think you might be in circles. You might be chasing your tail. Yeah. And just go look for a wife <laughs> and go pray for a wife. Yeah. Or, and then after that, testify about, man, that was my soulmate. God blessed me with a soulmate. Yeah, you know, and it, I think they have to have a, we have to have a perception of what that wife looks like. Yeah. Right? There's a certain way that we need to be looking at that potential woman yeah. that God is placing us. And that's exactly the word, woman. If you got Genesis um, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my, pl- my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Mm-hmm. And that was our perception of Eve. That was, that was Adam's perception of Eve. She was woman. And even when it, when, when, it, when it says they talk about it later on in the scripture about husband and wife, 
Like that's how he saw her as a woman. Yeah. And then it changed. Yeah. It changed after um, they ate from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And what changed was she became Eve. And that was the mother of earth. So she went from being your woman, that, 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 that woman that's flesh in my flesh, bone in my bone, to just being the baby mama. Now, if we can be honest about the woman that we've had in our lives, how many did we look at with that honest desire of flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, this is a woman I could spend the rest of my life with? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. did we just look at her as another potential baby mama or someone that we could sleep with? So that's something that, you know, you have to think about um, in, in, that, uh, in that form. But, you know, something else that stood out from the soulmate thing was if, if I continuously see this person, if they're continuously putting it, they're being put in my path. Yeah. Man, does that mean they're right for me? Mm. You know, oh, no. <laughs> True. No. Right. I, and I think a lot of people will legitimize that. But I could say the same thing. Like, yeah. listen, on my way to Ebor every day, I pass a strip club. Is that God's way of telling me, hey, maybe you should go to the strip club? I don't know, Pastor Sam. It's not. <laughs> Terry got some. <laughs> so, I see, I see Terry with So hold on up. one second. Yeah, yeah. So if you, can we leave time for questions at the end? Yes. Because yes. I can't pick you guys up on the mic through here. Gotcha. Okay. Um, we'll make sure we'll leave a little bit, a couple minutes of, for questions at the end. All right. So, how would you, we'll just go to the next question to keep the ball rolling to answer questions. So what advice do you have for married couples who have different views on disciplining their children? That's a loaded question. I say just beat them up, right? I, I'm, no. in, I'm in agreement. <laughs> That's how I grew up. Antonio and I were talking about this morning, spare the rod, spoil the child. He's like, bro. <laughs> mm. Mm, mm, mm. No, I think parenting is a, an important conversation. Um, and parenting is one of the top reasons couples get divorced. There's infidelity, there's finances, and there's parenting. And if I'm 100% transparent with you guys, I, I've had plenty of fights with my wife, with my wife, not wives, <laughs> my wife over kids. You know, and, and it's just communication barrier. I have my way of doing things. She has her way of doing things. But ultimately, we have to find some common ground. And I think what better common ground than the word of God? Yeah, yeah. Keeps you grounded. I mean, in uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares the, the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son discipline him promptly. Um, I think sometimes we take that out of context. It, it didn't say that you need to beat your kid all the time. It's mm. not what it's saying. Come on. Like, we're reasonable humans that we should know that there's a time when a conversation is better than the rod and you're still loving your child. But I think sometimes we lean too heavy based on our past. Yeah. Um, because you saw it done this way, you think that that's the right way. And that's why sometimes we got we to gotta be grounded in God's word because you're going to always have a different opinion coming from different backgrounds. In a marriage, you have culture, yeah. you know, you have uh, upbringing, 
Yeah. You have even your personal experience or abuse that somebody have maybe had a trauma. So there's some underlying conversations that sometimes we don't talk about before we get married. Yeah. And that's why I would say premarital has always been something that now that I know about it yeah. and I've done a lot, I would recommend it for any couple, anybody planning to get Yes. Married. Yes. We take those things lightly, but you'll be surprised the amount of secrets that comes out, or not even secrets that you were so caught up into. No, baby, you hang up. Oh no, sweetie, you hang up. Oh no, I love you. <laughs> you caught up in so much of that stuff that you yeah. missed to have some serious conversation of finding out these people hurts, their hang ups, their past, their pain, and actually their perspective on life. How do you see, you know, in, from intimacy to finances to parenting to religious belief to to, to um, all those things, to finances, yeah. management, budgeting. But we don't have those types of conversations. So I would say, man, the greatest advice I could give you is always get, go get information. Yeah. If your information is limited, go get it. There's enough information out there to help you to get unstuck. Or, again, to bring a different perspective because your perspective is your narrative, but sometimes it's not always the right one. Yeah. But it's yours. I respect that. Yeah. But we got to be open. And in a marriage, it's a it's a... It's a two-way street. It's just not with a one-way highway. So yeah, I got some. Both of us went half on a baby, so we got to figure this thing out. Yeah, I got some imagery because when we were talking about it, like a shepherd, he's not there beating his sheep with his rod. Right. He's guiding them with right. his rod. So mm-hmm. we're there to guide our children yeah. through that aspect too. Yeah. Um, Another one more thing is, um, you know, as you were touching on that other perspective. Yeah. yeah. Like there's the pre-married counseling, but there's also marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to put our pride to the side, put our ego to the bottom and submit to having that marriage counseling and being able to want to work on your marriage because the discipline, the children, I think there's a bigger issue there. That's a, that's a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, a symptom coming out. And, and I would say, too, for us as men, guys, one of the things that we like to do, we like to pretend like we're Bob the Builder, you know, like we could fix it. Mm-hmm. And some things are not meant for you to fix. Some things are meant for you to be coached through and for you to be told to change, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would just say, man, as a man, again, this group, Courageous, taught me how to bring that level of humility to my marriage yeah. because not only is, is she my favor, but she's my helper. And so if you can't see your spouse or your partner as your helper, man, you need to get help. Because yeah. that's your primary help first. You got the yeah. Holy Spirit. You got your wife. And then you get counsel. Man, you should, that's three strands right there. Yeah. It should pull you out of any dark place. But if one is missing... Then you got to figure that one out. Which one do I need to get? Do I need to get the counseling? Do I need to get God's wisdom? So I would just say as men, sometimes, again, we need to put, put our, oh, oh, and then, and then we live under this lie too. Oh, happy wife, happy life. That's a <laughs> lie. That's not even a scripture, friend. Yeah. I don't know where you're getting that quote from. Yeah. That's a myth. Yeah. It's loving husband and respectful wife. Yeah. That's going to make for a happy life. Amen. Speaking of wives. <laughs> this next question we got here. This is our favorite, right? <laughs> so King David, it didn't not seem to offend God when he committed adultery with a married woman. Oh, wait, no. He offended God. Mm. Okay. Why are concubines okay in the Bible? I need to have a one-off with who write this question. I need to find out <laughs> who that guy is. Hold up. Pastor Dwayne, how many concubines do you have? I have a few. 
I know, I know you're shocked. Don't raise your hand, but I got a few. I like my, uh, I like my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with none. You're right. This life, this ain't the generation for that, guys. You know, it's um the concubine question. Yeah. So, you know, I had to do a little bit of learning on concubine, too, because I had a preconceived notion that, man, this was somebody not only that does sexual favors, but uh, someone that was a maid. Like, and maybe they didn't perform some sexual favors, but when you look um, inside of the dictionary, in the Strong's Dictionary, it tells you, like, a concubine is someone that provides the male heir. And this is someone that they have sex with, the male, the male leader of the household. And so we have this notion of concubine that we want to ask this question about. But this is a different time period for concubines. This is a different culture. You know, when we talk about Abraham, who's, 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 who's the father uh, of, of, of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, his assignment was to go out and multiply. He went out and multiplied. His descendants were going to be numerous, so much so that they would be more than the stars in the sky and more than every speck of sand that's on the earth. And so that's the assignment that was continuously being carried out and continuously being lived out, even through David. Now, David made a choice outside of that and slept with a married woman where he did reap his consequences for. But the concubine is something that we have a new definition in which marriage has been clearly defined to us in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Ain't that right, DC? Yeah, I agreed. Now, um, you know, because of our sinful nature, one, one is never gonna be satisfactory. Just, just, just your mind going to tell you different just because of your sinful nature. But you know that you can only handle one. Just be honest. But your mind telling you different. But in terms of that scripture, um, I want to read this in Exodus. Uh, Exodus 21, verses 7 and 11. It says, but a man, who, um, a man who brought a Hebrew girl, bought a Hebrew girl as a concubine, must commit to providing for her um, sell her to another man who would provide for her as his concubine, or they had to return the girl to her father without demanding any payment. So again, this whole thing about the concubine was on purpose. Then there was a purpose for that. But when it comes to us for where we're at, like the drawing line for us now is marriage. Like God is saying, listen, I'm blessing the covenant of marriage. Mm-hmm. Like this is the order of how I want my kingdom to be reflected, my image to be reflected in the earth. And so it's just a place of where man will never be satisfied because the desires of our sinful nature sometimes will lend us to want to desire things. It just shows you in the past of how man's heart, you know, and it still is. He tells us about how terrible our hearts are. But it shows us right here that if you see the consequences, like David didn't have the consequences to sleep with his concubines. Did it say that? No. There was a consequences when he went and he slept with a woman that was married. That's when God had an issue. Right? And so the concubines wasn't really the issue. It was the principle that they were breaking the covenant of marriage. And that's why he takes it very serious because 
pretty much that's the marriage and the family is a reflection of God's kingdom in the earth. And those are the two things, if you look in the world right now, that the enemy has targeted. He's targeted identity. He's targeted marriages. Yep. And he's targeting families. Those are the, that's the foundation of how God built the earth. And so why, why would we want to lean to want to get another, to want to have a concubine when, yeah. when God is saying, man, if you want to reflect my image, having a concubine is no benefit now. Yeah. It's actually a distraction. So that's good. That's good. So for time's sake, um, so we can get a couple questions in. Let's yeah. We have two questions left that were sent in. So let's take a few minutes on each. Maybe yep. one take. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, how do you know it's God answering your prayers and not just your own thoughts or ideas? So that's a that's a good question. Um, a verse that we pointed out was in Proverbs uh, chapter three, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Boom. And you heard Pastor Dwayne referencing in, in Jeremiah from, from the heart of a man is, for the heart of a man is wicked. Yeah, yeah. Like really wicked. And we have to make sure that we're putting um, boundaries in place. You heard the boundaries message from Pastor Howe. But what I mean is, you know, you'll have different messages that you may hear. And you'll say, well, God told me this. And, okay, what would you bounce that off of? Are you, are you checking the scripture? Are you, are you, are you talking to your brothers? Um, are you coming to your pastor? Like, who are, you, who are you confirming this word with? You know, because you can receive the word, and then you fact check it. And that's where in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit and do not scoff at prophecies, right? I'm not telling you to scoff at the word of God. I'm not telling you to, to, to necessarily question what's being said, but to confirm. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. See, if it's something that you're being told that's going to be pulling you away from your relationship with God, then... It's probably not good for you. If it's something that can be bringing you closer, it can be good for you. But it's always good to have that accountability in your life and be able to walk through that. Yeah. I would just add to that a couple of things. Um, definitely one, the scripture confirms your prayers. Two, other people confirm your prayers. Mm. Uh, dreams. The Bible talks about somebody it could confirm to a dream. Yeah. Um, it also could confirm through... Um, through contentment. There's just a peace about your spirit that just kind of, you're just giving you the strength to walk yeah. through that. That's, a, that's an answer prayer. Because yeah. somebody would have been locked up or in a crazy house or in straight jacket yeah. for some of the stuff we have walked through. And they're like, well, how did you come through that? Just having God's peace. Uh, also, people around you should be blessed. A lot of times, if you're a blessing, you're going to see the fruits of your blessing around you. So people attached to you should see some kind of blessing in their life. And then the last one, which is the one we don't like, sometimes tough stuff gets tougher. Let me say that again. Sometimes your prayer being answered means stuff will get tougher. Yeah. So it's not a time for you to retreat, but it's for a time for you to anchor down and utilize, again, your community around you, these circles. They're only beneficial 
not only uh, when there's not a storm, but when there is a storm. Yeah. All right. So those are just some couple things that really can qualify that God is answering your prayers and it's not just something in your head. Yeah. That's real good. Yeah. So we have one final question before we have a couple of guys come up and ask some questions. So how do you respond when you feel bullied by leadership? I'm not answering this P. Dwayne, question. Can I That's say, it. I, I quit. Can I'm I done. Say, can I say you were a bully <laughs> once, man? Can we bring that up? Uh, or another time? Yeah, we can bring it up, man. No, Why not? No, we'll bring it up another time. Why not? You want to put me under the bus tonight? This is the night to put me under the bus, guys. No, we'll bring it up another yeah. time. So how would you guys respond to being bullied by leadership? Man. Hmm. I didn't expect that question, but uh, we'll figure it out. So the Bible calls you to um, yeah. to come before uh, your accusers, right? Yeah. And 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 talk to them, address it. Uh, here's my thing: is your leader, who may be coming off as 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 a bully, may not even know that that's what's going on, and you, in fact, might be doing an injustice to this leader as an opportunity for him or her to grow, whether it's at work or whether it's here in the church, whether it's us, me. Um, like, man, we could be walking through thinking that absolutely nothing is wrong unless you actually come and, and, and say it. You know what I mean? And if it was me, like, I want to apologize to you. I personally want to talk to you and walk through that with you. Like, I don't want you to be afraid to tell me that. Or if it's Pastor Dwayne, I'm sure he's the same way. We have an open door, and this is a big part of our, our church uh, growing and, and, and continuing to grow in our faith is being able to hold each other accountable and trust that, man, when something needs to be said, that it's going to be said. But then there's that balance. We talked earlier about condemnation and conviction, right? And, and there's a way that we can approach that conversation of giving someone feedback. And something that I learned from Pastor Dwayne yeah. that I'll let him share on yeah, yeah, yeah. is, are you coming for confrontation or are you coming for conversation? Mm. Right, right. Because, see, conversation, you're going to approach it from, with questions. If you ask questions, you're not confronting somebody. You want to have a dialogue. I want to have a conversation. So that's why I'm saying questions are conversational and not confrontational. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, man, that's biblical principle. You know, say if, you've had, if you have an author with a brother, you know, go to them you know, and try to resolve it. But I think in going to them, I would, I would lean in from the approach of, man, why, why, why is it that I'm feeling uh, this way about how you reacted? You know, like just ask them the question. You'll get an answer. Yeah. Right? But sometimes we move into more reaction. And sometimes that's a problem because sometimes when you react on emotions, it's hard to recover. It's easier to wait so you could get revelation about the situation. Because it says, wait on the Lord, he will renew your